Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The words of our text this morning are from Romans 1, verses 16 to 25. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because although they knew not God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. In the name of him who invites us, saying, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me, dear friends in Christ and fellow redeemed of the Lord. Tomorrow, we celebrate the 505th anniversary of the Lutheran Reformation, when Martin Luther posted the 95 Theses on the power and efficacy of indulgences on the door of the Castle Church in Wittenberg. There are volumes and volumes of writings from Luther's own hand and from many others about Luther's life and struggles after the Spirit led him to begin his lifelong battle against false teachings. But we hear far less about what came before. We hear far less about the agony and turmoil of the soul that he spent his first 33 years of life in. Martin Luther was all too aware of his own sinfulness. He was also too familiar with the Catholic dogma of infused grace, by which God came, gave you just enough of his favor for you to be able to earn your own salvation by obeying his law. And as a sad result, Luther developed an intense and misplaced hatred of the term, the righteousness of God. He wrote in 1545, At first, I clearly saw that the free grace of God is absolutely necessary to obtain to light and eternal life. And I anxiously and busily worked to understand the word of Paul in Romans 1.17. The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. I questioned this passage for a long time and labored over it for the expression righteousness of God barred my way. This phrase 
was customarily explained to mean that the righteousness of God is a virtue by which he himself is righteous and condemns sinners. In this way, all the teachers of the church, except Augustine, had interpreted this passage. They had said the righteousness of God, that is, the wrath of God. But as often as I read the passage, I wished that God had never revealed the gospel. For who could love God, who was a, love a God who was angry, who judged and condemned people? This misunderstanding continued until, enlightened by the Holy Spirit, I finally examined more carefully the word in Habakkuk 2.4. The just shall live by faith. But this passage I concluded, by this passage I concluded that life must be derived from faith. Then the entire Holy Scripture became clear to me, and the heaven itself was opened to me. Now we see this brilliant light very clearly, and we are privileged to enjoy it abundantly. In those simple words of promise from our text today, the Spirit enlightened the Reformer to understand the free gift of grace alone, by faith alone, and through Scripture alone. And so we also come to the Lord in His Word today and hear this promise in answer to the question, what is required for salvation? And the answer to this most important of all questions is our theme for today. Just faith. Nothing else can give you eternal life, and nothing else is needed for eternal life. May God renew us in this truth today and every day, that we may continue to trust alone in our full atonement through Christ. Our text begins with the bold proclamation of the Apostle Paul. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Which begs the question, what part of the gospel could ever be seen as shameful? It's the free gift of grace, the undeserved love of God towards sinful man shown to us in Christ Jesus. Why would a believer feel any sort of conflict or self-consciousness about proclaiming this simple solution to sin, that we have been saved through Christ's sacrifice? Yet we are tempted to feel shame when it comes to proclaiming the true gospel message, just as Christians were tempted at the time of Paul, at the time of Luther, and all times in human history. We feel this apprehension to speak up about the forgiveness we have all have through the cross because our message, message is different from every other message ever regarding salvation. This is why Paul aptly spends the later portion of this text treating idolatry, especially when you think of his, his audience in this epistle. The Christians in Rome dwelt in a city that was saturated with idolatry. The capital of the empire, many people of many faiths resided there, each worshiping their own gods. The Greek, the Roman pantheons, Zeus, Jupiter, Athena, Diana, many others. Many even worshiped the Roman emperor as God. People knew 
that there was a real divine power. But they had no idea what was real and what were mere stories. Beginning in verse 18, Paul writes, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhood, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew not God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful and became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. They knew that there was a God out there. Since the time of creation, his invisible attributes, his wisdom, his power, his intelligence, his care were all evident. But instead of seeking the truth of God, they invented their own truths. Verse 22 and following says, Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. But there's another form of idolatry, isn't there? It does not consist of bowing down to graven images of men and beasts. The first commandment says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And it is further explained in Luther's small catechism. We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Perhaps we don't see a lot of people in this world bowing down to golden statues, but we certainly see many people fearing, loving, and trusting in many things more than they do the triune God. Money is a big one. Power is another. But a very good argument can be made that the most tantalizing and appealing idol that mankind has ever worshipped is the idol of self. And at that time of Luther, Rome, Germany, and the world were still plagued with this idolatry. The Catholic Church taught, and still does teach, that the Pope, a man, is the foundation upon which Christianity is built. But Ephesians 2.20 teaches that Christ's teachings are the foundation, Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. The Catholic Church believed and still does believe that the leaders of the church are the ones who interpret and authorize any true teaching of Scripture. But Scripture itself teaches in 2 Peter 1 that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God, that is, the prophets, apostles, and evangelists, spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Shortly after Luther's death, the Council of Trent reaffirmed the Catholic doctrines of that ancient idol of work righteousness writing these words, which are still official dogma today. 
If anyone saith that by faith alone the impious is justified, is such a man, is such wise as to mean, and nothing else is required to cooperate in order to the obtaining of the grace of justification, and that is not in any way necessary that he be prepared and disposed by the movement of his own will, <clears throat> let him be anathema, that is, cursed or damned. Professing to be wise, the church had become fools. They had changed the image of the incorruptible God, who alone can offer forgiveness and salvation, into the image of corruptible man, who must now strive and toil in uncertain torment in the hope that he has done enough to earn God's favor. And so we can certainly understand and sympathize with Luther in the joy and freedom that became his through the enlightenment of the Spirit and truly understand what was revealed in those simple words, the just shall live by faith. Scripture does not say that the just shall live by faith and works. It doesn't say he that believes and is baptized and behaves in such or such a way, it will be saved. When the jailer in Philippi asked Paul and Silas, what must he do to be saved? Paul did not give him a rosary. When it comes to our justification from sin, God's declaration that we are not guilty and that we are righteous and that heaven is ours, our prideful works have no place in the discussion. The just shall live by faith, just faith. Nothing else can give you eternal life. And nothing else is needed for eternal life. That is why Paul was unabashed in his gospel proclamation of life, light, and forgiveness. He had nothing to do with his justification except to receive it. Were our part works part of our justification, we would have every reason to be ashamed because we have not kept God's law and must confess with the prophet in Isaiah 5, 64, all our righteous deeds are as filthy rags. But because our not guilty verdict is entirely dependent on and assured by Christ works alone, we can believe it because our salvation is already accomplished and won by the blood of Jesus shed on the cross and confirmed by his resurrection. Nothing else is needed. As our Savior breathed his last on the skull-shaped hill, he declared, it is finished. Nothing else can be added. Nothing else needs to be added. He has sent his Spirit in baptism in the Word to believe, to believe that we are adopted by, as God's holy family through the merits of our Savior alone. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe by his grace alone, by faith alone, and recorded in scripture alone. Paul was not ashamed of, his, of this gospel, this almighty power of God unto salvation. Luther 
was not ashamed of this gospel, which was returned to the church to be read in their own language and explained in simple terms that even small children could now understand. And we cannot be ashamed either. Paul and Luther carried the gift of eternal life to you, that you now carry, a gift that never runs out, a gift that exceeds all others in value, a gift that will never wear or rust, but rather grants eternal and everlasting hope and comfort because it requires nothing on our part, just faith. Augustine is, if you remember, one of the only church fathers that Luther found to have a proper grasp on this teaching of justification by faith alone, or in Latin, sola fide. Augustine was also quoted as having <clears throat> written the following comforting scriptural truth. Quote, Faith is to believe what we do not see, and the reward of this faith is to see what we believe. The power of God under salvation is a certain hope in this life, and we shall see it with our own eyes in the next when we hear our Lord's joyous call. Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And what is required to obtain this heavenly inheritance? Because of God's great grace to us in Christ, nothing is required on our part, just faith. Nothing else can give you eternal life. Not the false God of works or any other man-made false hope. But thanks be to God that nothing else is needed for eternal life than to believe in the gospel promise that those who are justified before God will live by faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, we conclude with the Apostle Paul from Romans 3, verse 28, that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Thanks be to God, in Jesus' saving name. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.